Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I've got uh, Blake Brewer on with me today, so I'm very excited. He's got a lot of uh, a great story, and also what he's doing uh, today is, is phenomenal, so I'm excited for everyone to hear that. Blake, thanks for being on the show. Hey, Bailey. I'm excited to be here, man. I've been looking forward to this all day. All week, really. Uh, yeah. So, uh, we we had uh, got to. I don't know. We didn't even have coffee. We were just sitting there a couple weeks ago, uh, and that was a great Catch conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, and of course, uh, I'm allowed to say that I love your mom on here and how great she huh. is, and she's mentored my wife. And uh, man, I love old Julie. Yeah, she no, she's great. I'm I'm blessed to have her as my mom. So. Um, anyway, if you would just start, just kind of give us some background of you and, uh, you know, where'd you grow up? Kind of give us some background detail about that. Yeah. So both my parents grew up in Louisiana. So I kind of, I, f- I feel like I'm a Louisiana boy, even though I moved away from there in second grade to Allen, Texas. Uh, and then in 10th grade, I moved to Sand Springs, Oklahoma, right outside of Tulsa, but had a mom, dad, a uh, sister and a brother that uh, were a little younger than me, but we grew up in church we grew up playing sports and uh we grew up eating dinner around the dinner table and uh but we also had a lot of our own a lot of issues we were not i'm not trying to say that we were the perfect family or anything like that but uh, sure definitely we had a you know family was a big thing growing up mm-hmm. and you said you played a little bit of sports so what sports did you play well, if you count all the sports from like kindergarten on, I mean, we, yeah. we, I tried, football is my main sport. I also played basketball, baseball, man, I tried to play golf and I still try, uh, ended up playing soccer junior, senior year. And, uh, I started, which tells you how horrible our team was. The fact that I started <laughs> <laughs> and never played soccer before, uh, but my main sport was football. Okay. What, uh, what are some things that you learned from playing sports? that have applied, you can apply in your life today that, that you've learned from? Well, I think the main thing that comes to mind is just, uh, having confidence. Uh, I think about, uh, my junior year in football, I did not have the confidence out there on the field. Um, I had a, a pretty good season, but I really got to the end of the season was just thinking, man, I just, I feel like I left a lot out there, especially, uh, when it came to getting interceptions, I was a safety and so then I had a mindset shift my senior year, and I was just like, when the ball is in the air, the ball is going to be mine. Like, I'm going to go up and get it. Uh, and because of that mindset shift and having that confidence, I ended up leading the state in interceptions. And, uh, man, it was just, I could just feel it. Like, when the ball is in there, it's like, man, I'm, that's my ball. And uh, mm-hmm. I didn't have that the year before. Uh, so I, I've tried to apply that in different areas um, and even in business now that, uh, just having that confidence. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. And, and confidence is absolutely key to really success in life and really everything. So you, uh, grew up in Sand Springs, went to high school, went to college. where do you guys go to college at? So when I moved to Oklahoma, everybody's like, okay, who are you? Oklahoma or Oklahoma state. 
And man, I literally didn't know. I didn't care. I didn't even know anything about it. And I grew uh -huh. up in Texas. It was NFL. Like I didn't, I didn't follow college sports. And so I almost would have felt like a poser, like, like, cause it felt like everyone was like from birth, either one of those two schools. Yeah. So I went and visited the university of Arkansas my senior year. Didn't know anything about it. But as soon as I got on campus, I was like, this is where I'm going. And so yeah. I became a Razorback and, uh, I mean, obviously still a Razorback to this day. Yeah. And, and out of college, you wound up working for an organization called Stumo, correct? Yeah, I could have never predicted that. I got my accounting degree, uh, and then when they were recruiting me, when I graduated, Stumo was recruiting me to come on staff, and I'm just thinking, man, I am, I do not want to go do that. That's not enough, not as much money, not as much prestige, and this was not the plan, uh, but I really felt like God was calling me uh, to do that, and then I really felt like even which we're going to get into more, uh, my dad, um, my dad wasn't alive anymore, but my dad's voice was very present in my life. And my dad, I could just hear him saying, Hey, you just got to trust God. Like if it may not make sense to the world, uh, it may be less money. It doesn't matter. Like if God's calling you to do this, then you need to trust that. So I thought it was going to be three years, ended up doing it for over a decade at the university of Arkansas. And then during that time stretch, I got married to my wife who went to OU. Don't hold that against her. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. And then uh, we went uh, and started Stumo at Missouri State in Springfield. And uh, that was a blast. Just starting something from scratch and no one's ever heard of Stumo. And to go on a campus and just start meeting people and get them into small groups and meeting up one-on-one. -on -one. And God did some pretty cool stuff over the next seven years. Yeah, what was that like going from Arkansas and and like you said, starting something totally new at Missouri State that was uh, not there before? What were there any doubts or fears that you had going into that uh, to start something? You know, it's it's funny. So my mentor um, was a guy named Sean, and he was at Arkansas, and he said, "Hey, do you want to go start your own, or do you want to take my job here at Arkansas?" And I said, "Man, I." I got to go start my own for a couple of reasons. I have an entrepreneurial spirit. I want to start start something new. But to be honest, I think for my leadership, I was not ready to take over at a, like a, a big ministry. Like I needed to go and start something new and kind of grow in my leadership with it. Um, so I definitely um, had fears growing there, but my strength is meeting, just meeting people. And so when you're starting from scratch, like you're not, there's not anybody to lead. Like you just go meet people. And so yeah. as people got involved, then, um, you know, every year there was more and more. And well, I grew in my leadership, uh, each year with that. And so, um, so that, that's kind of how it played out. Yeah. It goes back to the kind of confidence in your abilities, um, that you've had, um, experience doing something for a long period of time. It gives you confidence to take those steps to go do something that kind of fits, it's your makeup. So, yeah. And I've definitely have, um, a lot of different times where I didn't have that confidence. Um, and sometimes you don't have confidence cause you haven't had the repetitions and you need mm -hmm. to grow and experience. And then sometimes, uh, like for me, I was putting my trust in myself instead of trust in God and his the abilities he's given me. And so as I've had to shift towards that and just say, no, God's called me to do this. Like, it's going to work out it's going to be good. And so I've realized for me personally, whenever I do that, then I'm doing a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's so key. 
So you're at Missouri State and you wind up getting out of Stumo. What what kind of unfolded to get you out of that and to get you into what you're doing today? Uh, we got to the end of about seven years and man, things were rocking and rolling. Like we we had uh, one of the largest ministries, if not the largest ministry in, in all the Stumo campuses. So like from the outside looking in, it's like, why would Blake and Amanda ever leave? But there was just that point where I told my wife, I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And I think it was a combination of my age, um, combination I've been doing it since I was sophomore year in college, and I was just ready for that next challenge. Uh, but it took us like a year to make the decision because, you know, that was our, our life. That was, you know, all of our friends were doing it um, and working with that organization. And so we left, and the thing is when you – if you want to leave really well, you have to announce and give them plenty of time to find your replacement. So then you have to announce even before you found your next job. So then it's a little weird to say, you know, it's one thing to say, Oh, I have, I'm leaving. Cause I got this great job over here. Everyone can understand that. But when you say, Oh, I'm leaving and yeah, I don't know what I'm going to go do yet. <laughs> it's like the people that, you know, people are scratching their heads, but I, it's like, well, yeah. I had to do that because I wanted to give you guys enough time to find find the replacement. Uh, and so uh, we left, and then I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Ended up working a little bit for uh, an organization called The Freedom Fight, which is a program to help guys um, understand what it takes to overcome uh, a pornography struggle. And I was the marketing director for them. And then within a few months, uh, ended up starting my own organization called the endurance. And so that for about the last year, I've been trying to figure out exactly what the, who the endurance was, how we're going to impact men and ended up niching down on dads. And then, um, through a series of events, I realized God was calling me to help dads write uh, a letter to their children. So our mission is to help one million dads write at least one well-written, meaningful, lasting legacy letter to their children. Yeah, and, and, and going to that a little bit, what were the things that led into you starting this organization up? Yeah, so, um, you know, the biggest thing is what my dad uh, did for me. Um, there's no way I would mm -hmm. be doing it, doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for that. So really, it's just continuing his legacy, which it's all centered around what happened on May 23rd, 2003, right after my freshman year of college. And so this started off as one of the best days of my life and ended as one of the worst. But we went on a vacation to Hawaii. And uh, so it was my mom, my dad, my younger sister, my younger brother, and my grandmother on the trip with us. And uh, have you been to Hawaii before? I have. I love Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, Hawaii's That's awesome. beautiful. Yeah. So we were, of course, you know, we're excited to get there. And then the, so the first morning we decided to go to a place called Hanama Bay. Have you been there? I have not been, a, been there, well, I don't think. It's, it's really beautiful. Um, it's kind of shaped like a horseshoe. Uh, and as soon as we got there, we did what we always do. We jumped in the water and went snorkeling. And it was my dad and my sister and I out in the water. And then, man, we were seeing all kinds of cool stuff. And then we come back in on the beach and... Uh, we lay down, uh, everyone except for my dad. And my dad says, man, we're in Hawaii. Like, I'm not laying down on the beach. I want to go back out there. And so he started walking down the beach to go to snorkel at a different spot. And I remember sitting there thinking, man, I'm tired, but I want to go hang out with my dad. I want to go be with my dad. And so I ran and uh, caught up with him. And 
I remember the look that he gave me and he just smiled really big and said, ah, look who decided to join me. Uh And I'll never forget him saying that and just the smile he gave me in that moment. And as I've reflected on it, my dad did what he had done for me hundreds and thousands of times before, which has basically made me feel like he just enjoyed being with me. Like, I just like being with you, which is one of the best things that a dad can do for his children is and best way to show love is just enjoy them. And so my dad and I got in the water and of course we didn't just stay in the shallow end. We decided to go further and further out and we ended up in an area called the witch's, witch's brew. Now I know it's called that. And the waves got really treacherous and I couldn't find my dad. And I was wondering where he was. And I look up and I see my dad uh, getting on this rock. And I remember thinking, why is he getting on this rock? Because it's not a good place to get out of the water. The waves are crashing against it. And sure enough, as he's halfway up, a wave crashes against it, knocks him back down in the water. And I knew he was probably in trouble. And so I swam over to where he was at. And um, I, I couldn't really see where he was now. And I knew I needed to get a break. So I, I, on that same rock that my dad tried to get out, I got out of the water by God's grace. Um, in between the waves and as soon as I got on top of the rock I looked down in the water and I see my dad and he's treading water and he looks up at me and he yells for help and this is when I really knew he was in, in trouble and my dad had a deep booming voice and this was like a little whimper and so I turned back around towards the beach and the lifeguards, I mean, they were so far away. I had no idea if they could see me or not. And I just started waving for help frantically. And then when I turned back around and I saw my dad still still treading water, I just had a decision to make. Am I going to just stand here and watch or am I going to jump in and, and try to do something? And to me, there's only one decision. And so I, I jumped in and I swam to, swam to my dad. He's probably about 20 yards away. And when I got to him, he was underneath the water unconscious And so I did everything I could to try to swim with my dad and get him to shore. The lifeguards ended up showing up and uh, they got him to shore and they started doing CPR. Um, But it was too late. My dad had drowned on that day. And so what it's literally started off is one of the best days of my life in a matter of moments. Um, I'm sitting there like, like, what in the heck? just happened like my life just got turned upside down and we were back in the uh, condo a couple hours after this and I had just called back and I had to tell my dad's parents um, what had happened and of course they were devastated Um, my dad's work he worked at Hillcrest um, Hospital uh, called church called friends and I just went to the back bedroom after that and I was just kind of crying out to God, like, what, you know, where were you? What, what happened? And it was at that moment that my mom appeared in the doorway and she said, uh, I've got something for you. I was going through your dad's suitcase and I found something that he's been working on. I literally had no idea what she was talking about, but she walked across the room to me and handed me some sheets of paper. Um, and at the top it said, Dear Blake, Natalie and Marcus, my sister and brother's name. And she said, for the last couple of months, your dad's been writing a letter uh, and he was going to give it to you on this trip. And so Mm. in that moment, I felt incredibly loved, even before I read the letter. It's like, 
my dad spent a couple of months of his life writing us a letter to share with us how he feels about us and to give us some wisdom and guidance. He had no idea he was going to die. He was just being a good dad and, uh, and writing some, some thoughts for us. And, uh, you know, as I read this letter, it was unbelievable. And, you know, he didn't know it was going to be his last words, but that's what it was. And so, uh, the last line of this letter, uh, it said, you might be in the minority here on earth for your faith, but I assure you that in heaven, you'll be in the majority. Love your dear old dad in Christ mm-hmm. Jesus. And it was exactly what I needed at that moment. It just gave me a sense of peace. And so because of that letter, um, I mean, that letter changed my life. Uh, just knowing you know, where my dad was, but also just having his, his voice like in our life, like his words written down. And so um, I've had that for the last 18 years of my life. And then last summer, that's when it was like, okay, I've got to help other dads. That's my calling in life to help other dads write a letter like this. Wow. Yeah. That's an incredible story. Um, so how do you go about, uh, helping dads do that? Well, I quickly realized that, um, it was going to be more than just inspiring dads to write this letter. Um, you know, obviously the idea of writing a letter, um, it's, it's not a new idea and it seems simple, but writing this letter is, is not necessarily easy. And so, uh, especially when dads are busy, they're working, they've got all, all the pressure in the world. And so to sit down and think through like all the things that you want to share with your children, it's really overwhelming. So, uh, we created the legacy writing method, um, which I, walk dads through the process of writing this letter so that we break it down into different sections. There's some sections that, uh, like one section has, uh, the three things that every person needs to hear from their dad. I love you. I'm I'm proud. I'm proud of you. And I believe in you. And so I walk them through that. There's another section where we talk about, uh, different advice. Uh, you know, if you're on your deathbed and, and you had 30 days to live, like what would, what advice would you give your children? Um, and so dads either go through this, most dads go through my online course and they write it that way. Um, I also do some one-on-one coaching um, and then some group coaching as well. So like I'm, I just got off the call last night with uh, 11 dads out in California. And one of the guys, uh, I was actually on his podcast and he was like, man, this is amazing. I'm going to buy this for all my friends. And so he got all his friends together. And so 8.30 Wednesday night, I'm helping these dads write this letter. And uh, last night, it was our second time to meet, so they had just finished some of the prep course lessons. So I tell the dads, like, we need to get our hearts and our minds in the right spot to write this letter. And uh, there's some pretty tough things that, that, that are just amazing, though, when you do it. And uh, so they were sharing that last night. Um, but then, uh, I mean, it's pretty amazing as I started on this mission, I had no idea like how fast it was going to go or, you know, what was going to happen, just trusting God each step of the way. But uh, a couple of months ago, I find myself on the phone with the uh, vice president of the Arizona Cardinals. Um, and I tell him about my mission. And I was like, man, I'd love for you to be one of the one million dads. What do you think? 
And he was like, heck yeah, let's do it. And uh, so we've been working on his letter. He gave his letter to his 13-year-old daughter. And uh, and then he's working on the other one right now. But uh, I, I help anybody and everybody write their letter. Yeah. How do you think your dad had the foresight to go about doing that? I mean, is that something, was he close to his dad? Did his dad do that to him? Or do you have any idea on that? Uh, my grandfather was a writer, but hadn't necessarily written a letter um like this i don't know what we've asked that among among my family like man what made dad write this letter and there could have been somebody who prompted him or he maybe maybe he heard a story i don't know but it wasn't like he wasn't going through a program or something like like what i offer um but i'm thankful for whoever it was and i'm also thankful for whoever uh sold him life insurance because my dad also had life insurance that took care of our family and my mom didn't have to go get a job and she wasn't, didn't have to sell the house. I was able to stay in college, all of these things. And so, um, life insurance and my dad wrote this letter, but as I helped dads write a letter, you know, sometimes people get confused and think, okay, this is a letter in case I die. And really my dad didn't write that letter in case he died. He was writing that letter to give to us that weekend. And so, um, I talk a lot about just the power of a father's voice and our children need to hear our voice and so if you write this incredible letter like why would you wait to give it to your children like let's give it to them as soon as possible um so that they have your voice and you're like now absolutely you got to write it as soon as possible because you don't know when that when your last day is and so that is one reason to to not wait but to get it done yeah absolutely i mean i think we talked about it but you know my dad has written me a few letters maybe going to college or or whatnot and I always keep any letters that I have always keep um, just because I hold value in those things, whether it's my dad, my mom, or someone writes me a nice note. Uh, it's something you can take and look back on anytime. And all those words that they write to you, you can take them in at any time and, and kind of affirm uh, what they, what they valued and, and how they valued you. So I yeah. think that's awesome that you're doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a letter, a letter like this from your dad is priceless and uh i mean you can't put money on it but like you said so i've written i have a five-year-old and a three-year-old and a six-month-old and i've written them letters and the things that i've put in there uh will obviously be different than the letter i write them uh you know a few years from now or when they're 18 years old um you know i'll get to, i'll know their personalities better i'll have different memories that i'll put in the letter um but yeah, it'll be interesting 20 years from now for them to look back and they'll be able to know, Hey, you know, what did daddy think of me when I was five years old? Well, here, here it is in the letter. Like this, like he's loved me from the beginning. You know, they'll, they'll know that. Yeah. And there's just something about having a, a handwritten letter over a text or an email, you know, it's just, it's just something really authentic, uh, authentic about it. Um, that just is so different. It's more, more intentional. And so real quickly, I want to go back to uh, knowing I've had a great dad, so I'm really appreciative of him. And, you know, we're great friends as well. We work together. So most of the time we're great friends, <laughs> but, um, but one of the things I can't imagine, I can't imagine losing my dad. I mean, I know one day that'll happen. Um, but what was that like to go through that? Because one thing that I hear from you is uh, I'm not entirely sure, but I feel like your faith was pretty, uh, pretty important to you growing up. And so it seemed like 
you were able to use that for the better rather than for the worse. And I think a lot of people that go through really challenging times in their life, it, it goes one of two ways, or it either makes them stronger or it makes them weaker. And I feel like it definitely made you stronger. What was it like going through that? And why did you come about it um, stronger than maybe going the opposite direction? I could have easily gone the opposite direction. I would say the next year of my life after my dad died, I grew and developed more as a person than I had in my entire existence. And I grew more relationship with God. Um, now that doesn't mean that I wasn't grieving. And so sure. I, I grieved hard for the next year. I was back on campus and every conversation I had with a person in the back of my head, I'm wondering like, do they know about my dad? Like, do they know how bad I'm hurting uh, right now? And that was uh, before Facebook. So, uh, you know, I really didn't know and people knew. Uh, they couldn't just go online and see. Um, so, uh, you know, but I could have easily tried to escape all the pain that I was feeling um, by, you know, drugs, alcohol, girls, whatever, you know, whatever it could have been. Um, but I think, you know, knowing that my dad was trusting in God and um, also just this idea that, God never promised that my dad was going to live to be 80 or 90 years old. He doesn't promise that you and I are going to live that old. And so I just had this attitude, as much as I miss my dad, I can be grateful that I had a good dad for 19 years of my life when so many other people don't even have a good dad. They don't even know their dad. So, yes, I miss my dad. Yes, it was a tragic deal, but I can be grateful for what I had. And and really, I did I did try to use it um, to try to minister to other people. And I really opened up my eyes. Like one of the things I realized is because that was the first like death that I ever know, knew. It was kind of like, wait, what's going on here? This doesn't happen to our family. This happens to other people's families. And my eyes were just opened up to every person deals with tragedy in their life. Like everybody knows people that died. Like, so I didn't want to throw this pity party and act like I'm the only one out there that, goes through hard times like there's people you know whether it's a divorce or whether it's your parents getting divorced or yourself getting divorced or you know you know there's so many you know I have a one of my best friends growing up his three-year-old daughter has um cancer right now and it's really bad I can't even imagine I mean there's all these tragedies out there and so I think um going through mine just helped me realize that um how to minister to people and how to talk to people and that because at the end of the day people would ask me questions about it and i i had no problem talking about it if i knew that they truly cared now if they were but it wasn't until i knew they truly cared and one way you know someone cares is they continue to ask like more questions and deeper questions and it was really therapeutic for me to talk about it and so i've i've had that in my life where i've, I've talked to people and uh, I didn't know them that well. And they would like open up to me. My other friends or maybe someone I was friends with that person are like, what? That person talked to you about that? Like, that's more than what I even knew. And they're like my best friend. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I just asked them about it. You know, I just gave them the opportunity to talk about it. And and uh, and I cared. And so anyway, I, I think that experience in my life allowed me to serve people in that way. So are you a pretty naturally curious person in general? Yeah, I I am. I think uh, I, when I was growing up, my grandparents would take me out west on these camping trips, like three weeks long every summer. 
and man, I loved going it. And they always talk about it, you know, taking me even for, compared to some of my cousins, because I was asking questions about everything I genuinely like like to learn, and uh, you know, I'm just interested in things. But definitely people. Like I, I almost enjoy talking to a new person more than I do an older, like someone I already know. Yeah. <laughs> Are you like that too? Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty pretty similar. Yeah. So I, I resonate. Do you feel like that curiosity has enabled you to uh, transition into you were at Sumo in these transition parts where you go from a place that's familiar to a place that's new and starting new ventures as an entrepreneur and uh, as a person? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, don't, I, I, I look at all the, my experiences and I've developed an interesting uh, talent stack. I don't know if you've heard that phrase, but um, you know, right now I'm on the phone and I'll be mentoring guys as, you know, it's all in the context of writing your letter, but you know, a guy that's 50 years old or, you know, a really wealthy guy, um, or, um, you know, a professional athlete. And I'm not even nervous, nervous about it. I'm like, man, for 15 years, I sat across from hundreds of people and mentored them. And in their little world, they were famous. Like they were the president of the fraternity and like they were a big deal. And what you do yeah. is you learn, you figure out, it's just like, man, people are just people. Absolutely. And, yeah. Yep. And so you just try to serve people at the highest level you can and, uh, and, and serve them and you know, you can do it. Yeah. No doubt about that. People are just people, no matter what their title is. We're all just people. That's a yeah. great lesson in itself. No, ma no matter what their title is and no matter what they have going on or how much money they have, like um, people still care about themselves. Uh, and so uh, as long as you come alongside them and like, hey, I care about you too. <laughs> and uh, then, you know, and you speak to their needs, then, um, you know, you can help them. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, I feel like, uh, you read a lot, you understand that people at the end of the day, you know, you can't take anything with you. And, but the one thing that you can pass on, like what you're doing is a legacy letter, uh, a legacy to your kids. You know, that's always something people always seem to want to have their family around them, you know, when they're dying and why, you know, why that's so important um, is those are the people that are closest to you. And you can have such a, a tremendous impact on the people right in front of you every single day. Um, and that's just the start too. But, you know, what do you think, what are the qualities that make up like a really good father and being a really good dad? What are those qualities after working with so many different dads and different people? What do you think those qualities might be? Well, one of the things I talk a, a lot about is just ident this idea of, of your identity. Um, and uh, what is your identity? Because we'll act out of our identity. And so, um, Bailey, if I ask you, um, do you want a cigarette? What would your response be? No, thank you. <laughs> Why not? Because you're not a smoker. Like that's not your identity. Um, and so you act out of that identity. If you're a smoker, you're going to wake up and think, okay, I need a cigarette or I need to go to the store and get some cigarettes. Cause that's what smokers think about. That's your identity. And so in the same way, um, I, I try to help dads realize that, Hey, you are the most amazing father in the world. And if you take on that identity, like some of the other things, like, man, what do I do? Well, kind of take care of itself because 
if you are the most amazing father in the world, like that's who you'll be. Like you'll just act in that way. But it's really hard in our Western culture because from birth we've been, it's all, it's been about us. It's been about our sports team. It's been about uh, where we were going to go to college, where, what major we were going to be and what career we were going to do. So then a guy gets to the point of having kids and he's got this career, you know, that's his identity, like his job. But he also wants to be a good dad. His identity is his job. So what ends up happening is his dad's focus on their job and they do that really well. And at the same time, they try to be a good dad. Um, And I see guys be more successful if they're a really good dad first. And then out of being a really good dad, you've got to provide for your family. If you want to be a really good dad, you got it. That's one of the things you do. You know, you protect your kids, you provide for them. And so, yeah, you go to work. And you provide for your family and you do really well at work. And, you know, obviously there's different seasons depending on, you know, there's some, like a farmer, like there's times where he's like working really hard when it's um, harvest season and he may not spend as many hours with his kids, but there's other parts of the season where, um, you know, he's got more time. So it's different, it's different for every situation and every dad and with his job and everything like that. But the main thing is, is the dads who are really good dads, like, like, like that's who they are first. They're an amazing father. Mm-hmm. And how do you get the dads that are wrapped up in a different identity? How do you reframe that mindset? Like what are there, are there things that they can implement that make, that make the change a little less difficult? <laughs> it's a pretty difficult change, but right, how do you right. go about doing that? Well, the first one is just helping them be aware, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that that is true. And then, uh, I do one thing with, with the dads and I do this for myself that, uh, I have a little, deal on my phone my calendar goes off at 5 p.m each day and it just says what would the most amazing father do in the in the world what would he do right now that's me and so that just is a reminder for me as i'm retraining my brain into who i am oh yeah i'm the most amazing father in the world what what am i going to do right now and so i'm going to go be with my family and i'm going to keep my cell phone off and i'm going to put it in the car because i don't want to be distracted from my family so that's one, one small thing is just putting a little reminder in your calendar. Yeah. Just a simple, simple little action like that for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm very much on, uh, on systems. And so if you've read atomic habits by James clear, he talks about, you that's got right it there in the back. Yeah. It's right oh, there yeah. in the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great book. <laughs> yeah. It's a great book. So he, he talks a lot about, you don't rise to uh, your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. So just getting putting good systems in place, um, uh, because we can have great goals or great ambitions, but at the end of the day, like life happens, and so you just put systems in your life to make sure you know the things that who you want to be are actually happening. Mm-hmm. So for people out there that are like, well, what what does a system mean? Like maybe just take like a little a little snippet out of maybe a system that you have aside from what you just shared in your life. Yeah, so the two I just shared is putting that in my calendar and then another system is putting my phone in my car um, because I don't want my phone to be a distraction while I'm trying to hang out with my kids. Um, Another system would be getting up in the morning and going through your morning routine and knowing what it's going to be, whether it's your meditation or it's spending time in God's Word or reading 15 pages a day um, or... Uh, I do another deal where it's daily affirmations where you just, you know, affirm who you are. Uh, so those are 
vSIM systems. And there's some systems that I've gotten off track on and there's some, you know, I need to implement again. So I'm, I don't want to act like I'm just killing it over here. Um, I'm, I'm trying to always improve. Yeah. So you just shared a little bit about your morning routine. Have you always had a morning routine or is it something oh. you had to build over time? Oh, no way, man. Like I, yeah. <laughs> I was not a morning, morning person. Yeah. Um, and part of it, you know, if you don't, if you don't believe you're a morning person, then you won't be a morning person. Your idea, <laughs> so, just what you just right, said. Yeah. Right. So I had to change my mindset around that. And, uh, there's a guy named Kirby Anderson who, you know, mm-hmm. uh, who, uh, helped me, uh, think through some of those things and help, help me have some good thoughts before I go to bed. And even just thinking through, okay, Here's what I'm going to do in the morning and thinking about that um, before you go to bed. And then also just having that thought of, oh, I'm about to get some amazing sleep tonight and my body is going to be well rested and I can't wait to get up in the morning. Like yeah. just literally put your body and your mind in a different mindset rather than, oh, I hope I can sleep as late as I can tomorrow. Like, like you just, I just yeah. subconsciously think that, right? And so I have to battle that every night. Yeah, constantly reframing and having yeah. those systems have, in place to, to check that. Having a great morning starts, starts the night before, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to honor your time. I know you got to go here in a second, but um, a few questions here I want to ask you. How do you want to be remembered? Well, I mean, my first thought is I want to be um, remembered by my, my family and my children as someone who uh, invested in them. And I, I don't want to be the guy who invested in everybody else and poured into everybody else. And then I wasn't known at home. I wasn't famous at home. Uh, and so it's actually really good accountability now that I'm helping other dads. And I definitely have that struggle. I'm like, man, I feel like my business could grow like a lot um, faster if I just spent a little bit more time on it. Uh, it's like I can't be that'd be like Dave Ramsey having a credit card. You know, like, <laughs> like Dave Ramsey can't have a credit card. Well, I can't be the guy who's not spending good time with my with my family and my children. So it's great accountability. I love it. Yeah. Um, so uh, and then I think uh, I just want to be remembered as a guy who who I don't know the best way to say it, but maybe just lived on the edge and uh, live by faith. Um, mm. Like, I don't know about anybody. There's no one else out there right now trying to create a business around helping dads write a letter. And, uh, I mean, when I first told my wife, she's like, now what? Like, you're going to provide <laughs> for our family by helping dads write it. Like, who's going <laughs> to make money on that? Yeah. And, uh, I, I mean, I saw it as a challenge. I'm like, all right, we're going to do it. And, uh, you know, God's provided. I would have never known that businesses would end up paying lots of money for their employees to go through it and financial advisors to be buying it for their clients or insurance agents to be buying it to, as a gift to give it to realtors. I couldn't have predicted that, but um, I'm already making more money in 2021 that I would have thought that I was making. Um, and it's definitely fun to talk to my wife about that. Yeah. <laughs> God provided. He's still providing. Yeah. But you took that step of faith because you felt God pull on your heart to do something and live on the edge, like you said. And sometimes yeah. when we do that, we can't see in, in the future and we don't know what's going to happen, but we take those steps just like you have. And, you know, typically God provides not on our time, but typically right. he will by taking those steps of faith. 
Yeah. So that's, uh, I would say that's a pretty good example that you've set to be able to go and do that. Do you have a, a typical uh, favorite piece of advice you've ever received? Man, uh, you know, the very f I, first thing that came to my mind is the Bible verse is without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so it goes along mm -hmm. with what we're already talking about. Yep. Um, but that's how I try to live, um, just live by faith and small things, big things. Uh, I try to believe, um, you know, that God's about to do something amazing in my business. God's about to do something amazing in my family this week. I can't wait to see what it, I don't know what it's going to be, but I can't wait to see what it, what it is. And so that's how I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not like that every week, but most weeks I've been doing that and lo and behold, good things, good, ha good things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. The last question, we're going to change up a little bit. Typically, it's, it's always about what does building excellence mean to you? But uh, what does building excellence every single day as a father mean to you? I you think, touched on it a little bit. But. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, I think, I think it's just investing in my children to the best ability that I can. I know that I'm not going to be the perfect father. I know that I'm going to come up short. I know they're going to need me in different areas, and I'm going to come up short. I already know that, but, um, I want to be there to the best that I can. Um, and that means with my words, I know that my words, um, uh, have meaning and are powerful. So I want to make sure I'm speaking life into my children, but, um, also just, um, emotionally showing up, uh, for my children and then just physically showing up, uh, for my children. And so, uh, you know, and I think another word that it goes back to a lot is just being intentional. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'm not, I'm not always that great at it. Like I'm very much like, ah, it'll, it'll all work out. And, uh, and, and there's some good to having that thought, yeah. not, you know, I'm not a very anxious person at all. Um, but I also to a fault that could be bad. So I try to be more intentional and try to plan things out and really think through, okay, what are the, the things that I for sure want to do with my children? Yeah, no, that's great. Well, Blake, thanks for being on the show. And thank you for, for being a person who's helping uh, other men, other fathers uh, be excellent as a father. And honestly, that probably is one of the most important things we can all do. Really, you know, aside from faith, that's probably the most important thing we can do is be good parents. You know, you want a better society, you want a better kid, be a good father, set the example yourself. And uh, thank you for for doing what you do and helping other dads do that as well. So yeah, thanks for being I've, on the show. No, I appreciate you having me. And if and any it, dad wants help writing a letter, you can go yeah. to uh, legacyletterchallenge.com, legacyletterchallenge.com. And then if they want to uh, get in touch with you on social media, what are you on social media? So the endurance uh, on Instagram, you can find okay. me on Facebook too, but the endurance is where I post every day and I post uh, the endurance underscore. And I usually have a quote about a dad. I did a quote uh, from John Wayne yesterday. Oh, nice. And, uh, we did a quote from Ronald Reagan's son the day before. But then we had something from uh, Shaquille O'Neal. And, uh, uh, oh, I did one today from uh, Family Matters. Carl, you remember Carl Winslow? Okay. So, uh, I don't know if you watched that show, but it was back in the early 90s. And so I put a quote uh -huh. in there from him. So I, it's it's pretty good to have some fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, if you want to, you want to follow uh, Blake, check out all this stuff and then definitely check out uh, the legacy letter and reach out to Blake to, to be a, uh, to write your letter to your kids. So Blake, thanks for being on the show. All right. Appreciate it.
Hey everyone, it's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.